You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. A huge sweep of the doubleheader yesterday for the Marlins over the Phillies. I cannot emphasize how massive that was for the Marlins to pick up those two games, especially with the back and forth of this series. What I've been most impressed with this team, of course, is the way that they've been able to bounce back from some pretty disappointing and pretty brutal losses to just turn the page and have a new game right after. Because at the end of the day, whether you lose by 20 or you lose by one, it counts the same in the win-loss column. And if you bounce back the next day against the same team, you pretty much negate that loss. That's exactly what the Marlins were able to do until they got this doubleheader, which was very favorable for them pitching matchup-wise, and they were able to take advantage of that. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then how about the Marlins' playoff chances just overall? What are their chances going into looking at maybe their schedule and what the other team schedules are moving forward. And then I even averaged every website that I think is the most reputable when giving a playoff percentage. Of course, playoff percentages are kind of just fun and really not that valuable. But as we get down the stretch here, it is interesting to look at all of the playoff percentages. I averaged those all out. I have a history of which have been more accurate in the past. And overall, it's pretty interesting to see the discrepancy because some websites are a little bit lower and some websites are way higher. So I'll get into that also and what my thoughts are and where it should really sit in terms of what the probability is on this team to make the postseason. And there's a lot of factors that go into it, especially with the schedule remaining, especially with how the Marlins are going to move forward offensively, bullpen-wise and rotation-wise, because now we've seen a, a bunch of solid starters for the Marlins And really, there's not enough room in the rotation for all of them. Where are the Marlins going to distribute that pitching? Jose Urania should not make another start for the Marlins, at least this season, and probably beyond that, given the outing that Braxton Garrett had. Because after that outing, really, he earned himself another start. Trevor Rogers looked really rough in his last outing. Going to briefly talk about that because I still think he deserves another start. And I've been talking about it in the past, about how I do think that he is a solid major league starting pitcher, and he does a lot of things really well. The problem is those things that work well for him are going to go wayward if he's falling behind in counts. So his margin for error may be not not as big as Braxton Garrett's because Braxton Garrett has some better off-speed offerings. So that's what I'll talk about as well. So first, starting with Sixto Sanchez, because he set the tone yesterday with the first start of the doubleheader. And that really was setting the tone for the whole day. Because again, when you have a seven-inning doubleheader, you really need to be able to have a solid start in one of those two games. You can save your high-leverage arms for one of the two games, and you got to really have a plan for how you're going to use your bullpen for all types of scenarios. If your starter struggles in the first game, how are you going to attack that? Are you going to throw in the towel if you go down by more than four runs? So many different things and so many things that a manager has to decide on a fly. Fortunately, Sixto Sanchez made the job very, very, very easy for Don Mattingly in terms of handling his bullpen for that doubleheader because easy enough, 
he doesn't have to pitch a single reliever in game one thanks to Sixto Sanchez's gutsy performance. I said on Twitter that it was the gutsiest performance of any Marlins player this season. You can make the case for Sandy Alcantara against the Rays. Someone had tweeted a response to me about that. I think that was a good rebuttal and maybe another good candidate, but you could put those right there with each other. I would say that Sandy's was a great start because he bounced back after getting roughed up and picked up a big win against a really good team, maybe one of the best teams in baseball. Sixto's, I just I think it has a little bit more to it because of the storyline, right? He's pitching against his former team, the team that traded him away. He's also pitching in a doubleheader where, as I just said, he had to set the tone. There was a lot more going on there, and there's direct playoff implications in this ball game where you're actually gaining a game on the team closest to you by winning that ball game and, of course, giving yourself a little bit of a chance to play with the house's money in game two, which was exactly what the Marlins did and really used it to their advantage. So Sixto was not the classic Sixto that we saw, and that's not a bad thing. And by that, I mean he wasn't getting the crazy swings and misses that we've seen at times. But the amazing thing, as I said in the past about Sixto, is that he looks different every start. And when I say that, I mean it in the best way possible because he adjusts to the lineup that he's pitching to or he adjusts to the situation. I'm not going to say that it was 100% this reason as to why he didn't get as much swing and miss, but I do think that there was a concerted effort to pitch to contact a little bit more and to try and get more ground balls because he very much wanted to go deep into this ball game. Of course, when you're trying to rack up strikeouts, you're going to be a little bit more careful. You're going to go deeper into counts, and it's harder to go deeper into the game. Sixto was really good at getting ground balls, especially when he needed them most, while also getting weak contact early in the count. Of course, a great recipe to go deep into ball games. Got a couple big double plays and still got the strikeouts when he needed them. He only had three, but he got a big strikeout against Alec Bohm, who's been just absolutely locked in. You know how much I like Alec Bohm. That was a great 3-2 pitch fastball in the outside corner that he just blew by him. Things like that where Sixto can dial it up a little bit extra and get the swing and miss whenever he needs to. That was really impressive, and I was very, very happy with the outing that we saw from him because sometimes you're not going to have your best stuff. Sometimes one of your out pitches isn't going to be working as well. You know, Maybe the slider's not working as well, and you're facing a lot of right-handed hitters. Maybe the changeup's not working as well, and you're facing a lot of left-handed hitters. you got to adjust, and you got to manage, and you got to compete. And that's exactly what Sixto did, and he turned out overall – one of the most quality starts, if not the most quality start, of his professional career, even though the numbers aren't as off the charts or as impressive, given the circumstances and given what he was able to do in terms of eating innings, it really was maybe one of the best starts, even though he's had some way better statistical starts in the past. As for Braxton Garrett, how about him in his debut? You know, I thought this was going to be a Nick Knighter debut, and I was a little bit excited to see Nick Knighter and see what he could do just because I am high on him. I think he's a little bit boring in the aspect that he pitches to contact as well. He doesn't really do anything incredible except for locating and having great command and also just getting a lot of weak contact. But I wanted to see him in a starter's role because he really is a starter by profile. I don't think Knighter is the type of dude that's going to be better in the bullpen. I think he can handle it because he's just a good pitcher and he's very polished and he could be okay in bullpen situations. 
but you want a guy that's more high high strikeout and high velocity with a really good wipeout pitch. That's not Neidert. Neidert's more of a Pablo Lopez type of profile where he's going to just give you a quality start after quality start, hopefully, if, if Neidert is the pitcher that we think he can be from the minor leagues. I think he's more of a guy like Lopez where he's going to at times, be able to rack up the strikeouts when he's really got the changeup working or when he's really got one of the off-speed pitches working. But overall, you're just counting on him pounding the strike zone. Of course, this is taking back from what Pablo has done the last two outings, but a pounding the strike zone and being able to really just get guys to get themselves out while mixing in some swing and miss on some quality off-speed because of the fact that they're able to get ahead in so many counts. So I still want to see Neidert at some point, and there's a good chance that we do see Neidert maybe in that one of the doubleheaders against the Nationals as that five-game series is coming up as well. But a quick little overlook on Braxton Garrett. He looked great overall. Yes, this was a little bit of a shell of the Phillies lineup given that Reese Hoskins was out, given that Real Muto was taken out of the lineup as well, and you hope both of them are okay. I don't know if they're going to be playing against the Marlins in the game at 4 o'clock as I record this a few hours before the ball game, but they are obviously huge parts of the Phillies lineup. Hoskins had been pretty hot over the last few weeks, and Real Muto, of course, is probably their best hitter this season given the cooling off of Bryce Harper so far in the last few weeks as well. Garrett was, against still a very right-handed hitting lineup. So it was heavy with right-handed hitters, and he was still very effective. And if you look at his minor league stats, he was the same way in the minor leagues. Literally identical splits for the most part. 235 batting average against right-handed hitters, 235 batting average against left-handed hitters, or against him, I should say. And that that's really good to see from a starter because you want to have pretty even splits. Yeah, I'd like to see the numbers be a little bit better against left-handed hitters, but when you look at the way he uses his arsenal, it kind of makes sense. His best pitch is the breaking ball, and he went to it 32% of the time in this ballgame. He really is great with that pitch. He commands it really well. He almost never hangs it. And the action that it has, it's more of a 12-6, so it's good against both lefties and righties, which is huge. Because if it's more of a sweeper, it's going to be better against lefties, because it's going to be breaking towards righties. But because of the drop off the table, 12-6, to more vertical action, it's good against both. And he also has a changeup that he's vastly improved that also works really well against right-handers, but he even is comfortable mixing in against left-handers. And when you look at the difference between Garrett and Rodgers, is Rodgers is so good with the fastball, and he is so deceptive with the fastball. So when that ball is really working for him and he's getting ahead of hitters, he can work off of it really well with his off-speed that is pretty average, to say the least. I mean, I, I really like Trevor Rodgers and what he's able to do with his deception. And as I've talked about in previous episodes, he is able to make his average off-speed stuff play up when he is getting ahead in counts. When he's getting behind in counts, he can get himself into trouble because the off-speed isn't good enough to pitch backwards or if he's behind and they're sitting on that fastball, all of a sudden the fastball is not quite as good. For Garrett, he's got probably all better off-speed offerings, if we're being um, brutally honest. And the curveball especially is much better than any off-speed offering that Trevor Rogers has. So he is able to get himself out of some Maybe hitters counts a little bit better. He has some better put-away pitches, though when Rodgers is on, he's going to probably rack up more 10-strikeout games just because if he's facing a left-handed hitting heavy lineup or he's really got that fastball working for him, he just gets tons of swing and miss. 
but Garrett's able to get a lot more weak contact, and that was what was really good for him. The only mistake he really made, and it wasn't really a mistake, it was a fastball in the outer half, but just Alec Bohm put a fantastic swing on a heater and drove it to dead center. That was it. He, he adjusted from there, and I'm fine with that. You know, if you're going to give up a home run because you're pounding the strike zone, that's okay. And overall, he goes five innings. He only gives up three hits, one earned run, which was that home run, two walks, six Ks. Overall, a really good outing, and he earned himself another one. So he should be making another start probably in that national series, which would be really fun to see him follow that start up against maybe a lineup with some more left-handed hitters to see how he uses the pitches and the pitch distribution because overall he only faced two left-handed hitters in Harper and Gregorius and the pitch distribution was pretty similar to how he pitched to righties and I expect it to be that way going through into all types of matchups moving forward. I'm going to get into the Marlins playoff chances and their schedule the rest of the way and why I think today if they win this ball game today the Marlins will really be in the driver's seat for a postseason run and will be in a spot where, yeah, they could obviously give it up with how the season's gone and all the games crammed in down the stretch here. But the Marlins undoubtedly control their own destiny with them being in a playoff spot already and the schedule that they have ahead. There's some tough aspects to the schedule. There's some easier aspects to the schedule, but it's all really going to come down to whether the Marlins can take the pressure off of those final three games. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best snack for the health conscious guy, whether you're trying to lose weight or just maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Built Bar is the best option because it's low in calories and low in sugar, but still high in protein and high in fiber. So it's great for a keto diet. They also added six new great flavors on top of the 12 original flavors that I already liked. Some of the new flavors include cookies and cream, caramel brownie, some of my favorite original flavors, peanut butter and German chocolate all taste like candy bars really but without all of the bad stuff that comes with it an example of a flavor profile cookies and cream 17 grams of protein 130 calories only only four grams of sugar and only four grams of net carbs it almost doesn't make any sense when you eat it because it tastes so good and even better ten dollars off at builtbar.com of your first order when you use the promo code locked on that's one word locked on for ten dollars off your next order at builtbar.com and for a limited time you can get a free cooler with your purchase that's builtbar.com promo code locked on so what are the marlins playoff chances and who would they potentially play like what are the seeding situations and implications because that is something that i think a lot of people aren't talking about quite as much in terms of the seeding because it's so confusing and because of how different things are this year. Also, the Marlins at this point, you know, if the Marlins make the playoffs, I don't care who they play. The mere fact that this team makes the playoffs is going to be just enough for me, at least for what we've seen, what we were expecting going into the season, given everything that's happened. If the Marlins got swept in the postseason, of course, that's incredibly disappointing, but you couldn't call the season anything but a win. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but you have to also just consider that for a second. Consider where the Marlins are right now and the fact that they're playing meaningful baseball games. No, it's a 60-game season, which means every game was going to be more meaningful down the stretch. We knew that going in, but the fact that the Marlins are playing meaningful baseball games with 16 to go and the Nationals aren't, that's pretty crazy and is just worth taking a step back and appreciating for a moment. So with the playoff percentages, again, that's something that's really a bit 
random and arbitrary, but still is worth looking at overall because it does give you a little bit of a gauge because it considers so many things. It's a computer, whether the website, whatever website it is, it's a different algorithm that computes so many different things. And at the end of the day, while it's kind of impossible to put a truly accurate percentage on it because we don't really know what a true accurate percentage is because these players aren't robots. It's definitely worth looking at across all of the different websites because each website has an algorithm that considers so many different things that we probably don't even think about. So we'll start with Fangraphs because Fangraphs is one of my favorite websites when it comes to a lot of different advanced statistics. And Fangraphs seems to be one of the more skeptical by just a slight margin, but still very bullish on the Marlins at 71.4% of the chances to make the playoffs. That is a hair lower than baseball reference, which has the Marlins at 72%. And then the lowest on the Marlins right now is 538. 538 obviously is very geared towards politics and polls and stuff like that. They've had some really good moments with their percentages and polling, and they've had some really bad moments. Still, Nate Silver is a widely regarded, impressive statistician, and he's done a great job for a long time. That being said, he is the lowest on the Marlins at 69%, which still, if that's the lowest percentage that the Marlins are looking at in terms of what the outlook is and projections, you're going to take that, especially with what we were expecting going in. But the most important, I think, is Pakoda, because Pakoda is also baseball prospectus. They're pretty darn good when it comes to projecting things. Of course, it's so hard to project so many things, but 83.3% from Pakoda for the Marlins to make the postseason. You average all those together, that puts you at 73.85%, which is very, very solid. I mean, there's a three out of four chance that the Marlins make the postseason, according to Fangraphs, Baseball America, 538, and Pakoda. I'll take that. And why should the Marlins have that high of a percentage of a chance? Well, other than the fact that the Marlins continue to play better baseball as we go on here, despite a couple blow-up ball games, the schedule the rest of the way is a mixed bag. Talked about it in the last podcast, but now that the Marlins have swept that doubleheader, they play the Phillies again later today with a pitching matchup that, even though Pablo Lopez has struggled, favors them as Vince Velasquez has had an ERA in the nine range over his last six starts against the Marlins. Definitely a guy that the Marlins like to face. Then the Marlins have three games against the Sox and the Sox have been one of the worst teams in baseball. They really have thrown in the towel. They give some of their stars a day off. It seems like almost every other day. They are definitely not going for much right now at this point. And also there's just no pitching for that ball club. So the Marlins offense that seems to be clicking right now is going to have a much better chance to just continue to mash against the Red Sox. That spills over into five games against the Nationals, which, look, the Nationals have not been playing great baseball. They're 5-11 and over the last 16, but they did have a pretty solid series against the Braves. And the thing is, we've seen with these doubleheaders, which there's two in the series against the Nationals, they can be your best friend or they can be your biggest enemy. And if the Marlins get into a slump or they just scuffle across a doubleheader and it spills over into another ball game, all of a sudden you lose three straight, that's where you can get into some trouble. So the Marlins really need to preserve their pitching going into that national series, which is huge. And that's why the offense really needs to break out against the Sox. If the Marlins are able to put up some big offensive numbers, then they can take some pressure off of the bullpen and preserve it for that crazy five-game stretch against the Nationals, which could be season-defining. If you're able to beat the Phillies today, let's say you take two out of three from the Red Sox, or you lose to the Phillies today and you sweep the Red Sox, going into that National Series, if you take three out of five, you should be in the driver's seat 
going into those final seven games. And for the Marlins, it's all about making those final seven games as the least important as possible because you're playing the Braves four times, who are obviously a very tough team, and then you got three against the Yankees, who would presumably be the healthiest excuse me, that they've been this entire season as they'll have more time to get some guys back. Judge will probably be back. Stanton might be back. Gio Ursula will definitely be back. Glaber Torres is taking off. Garrett Cole just had his best outing. Definitely not a team you want to run in for the final three games of the season, especially if those games really matter. If the Marlins only need to get one of those three because they have a couple game lean on one of the playoff spots, that would be huge. But also, the Marlins really need to win the games that they should win because the seeding, if we're really going to get really ambitious here. I know that it would be great for the Marlins just to make the playoffs, period. But if we really want the Marlins to make a run or have a chance to make a run, seeding's going to be important. Because as it stands right now, the Marlins would take on the Padres. And yeah, a lot can change down the stretch here, but you don't want the Marlins to take on the Padres. That would be a really tough matchup out of the gate, given what the Padres have been able to do offensively and the additions they've made to the mound. If you told me a year ago that the Marlins would be playing the Padres and potentially facing Chris Paddock in a postseason game. I would have laughed at you, but that is a distinct possibility here. How could the Marlins get out of that Padres matchup? There's a few different ways. They could technically be one worse in the seeding and go to six, where they would likely take on the Cubs. I would rather take on the Cubs than the Padres. I don't think that's a hot take by any means, and the Marlins should be able to compete with the Cubs in a three-game set. If the Marlins are able to catch the Braves, that's the best-case scenario, and it's not outside of the realm of possibility, especially with four head-to-head games coming up, especially after that is after eight straight games against some beatable teams where the Marlins could at least take five out of eight. Best-case scenario, maybe they take six or seven out of eight from the Red Sox and the Nationals. The other problem, though, is that Jose Urania, as I said earlier, he shouldn't make a start, but as I look at this, he really probably has to make another start Going into that Nationals series, you know, as I said, the Marlins need to preserve their pitching. There's a good chance Urania makes a start against the Red Sox, which I guess if you're going to start him, that's the time to do it because the Red Sox have zero pitching and it could end up being one of those slugfests. But Urania, every once in a while, will spin you a decent start. That that should definitely be his last start of the season and he should definitely be moved to the bullpen there. But that will probably be the case because the Marlins go Lopez today, Alcantara in the first game against the Sox, most likely. I would expect Rodgers in game two. And then when you go into the National Series after Urania would maybe round out that series, that's where you'd go back around to Braxton Garrett, Sixto, and go from there. Maybe Neidert makes a start mixed in there. A lot can change. That's my guess. But Jose Urania making one more start in there would probably take some pressure off. Can the Marlins catch the Braves, it's possible, right? They're only three games behind them with four games against them and a slightly easy schedule besides the games against the Braves. They don't necessarily just have to catch the Braves, though. If they can catch the Cubs, that would be a favorable matchup as well. If they catch the Cubs, they get the Cardinals. Cardinals are a good ball club, don't get me wrong, and they will be tough also, but we're looking at any options that aren't the Padres. Also, if the Marlins catch the Braves, they get the Phillies. And we've seen, even when the Marlins were much worse last year, they enjoyed taking on the Phillies. The Marlins just seemed to like playing the Phillies. And I would love to see the Marlins against a team with such a bad bullpen in the postseason. The Marlins should be able to actually take that series if they're able to catch the Braves and the Phillies stay put. Of course, the other teams could move around. A lot could change. But there's no way around the fact that the Marlins need to win, and if they can get on a hot streak to not only make the playoffs, but to maybe catch the Cubs or the Braves, 
that would be huge. So while we're scoreboard watching and you know making sure that the teams behind the Marlins lose, let's start looking at the teams ahead of the Marlins because the way they're playing this year, it's about who they can catch. Let's not look behind. Let's look forward. And that is the mentality that it seems like this team has had all year long. So a big game today as the Marlins take on the Phillies at four and then a series that the Marlins really should sweep. At least take two out of three against the Sox and be in the driver's seat going into those final 12 ball games, including four against the Braves. Should be a lot of fun, and it will be wild if the season comes down to three meaningful games against the Yankees. No matter how you spin it, those games against the Yanks will probably matter, whether it's seeding or just making the playoffs, period. Hopefully, you want it to be more the former and take a little bit of pressure off of those ball games against a team that I think people are forgetting is one of the most talented teams in baseball when they get guys back, and by then, they could have quite a few guys back. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be continuing to break things down now as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. It's getting very real, and the Marlins seemingly are controlling their own destiny. A lot of important games ahead. It's been one wild season, but just enjoy these last 16 games because whatever happens with this season, we were gifted probably more exciting games than we would have ever expected, and it's been a really special year. So let's hope that it ends in a best-case scenario, but this has just been a blast regardless, and let's just enjoy these meaningful games down the stretch here and see what happens. I'll talk to you about the Marlins tomorrow. Let's see if the Fish can make it three in a row.